0: creative journey it's easy to get lost but don't worry you'll lift off sometimes you just need a creative pep talk you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, and whether I'm illustrating for clients like Apple and Xbox or creatively pep-talking teams at Warby Parker or Sesame Street, I aim to make stories that make people want to say yes to life. I'm also ADHD, and that means it takes a whole bunch of creativity just to get out of bed in the morning and brush my teeth and put shoes on, let alone build a creative practice. So I'm just sharing everything that's helping me do those things. And I hope it helps you build a more creative life as well. Let's get into it. So we got our first Factor Meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely love them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash talk 50 and use code talk 50 to get 50% off. That's code talk 50 at factormeals.com slash talk 50 to get 50% off. What is the biggest obstacle or enemy to the creator? I think if I was just coming up off the top of my head, I'd be thinking fear, doubt, money. Those all come up close to the top of the list, but I'd say nothing probably tops Time, time, (laughs) time is the ultimate creative enemy. There's never enough time to take care of yourself, pay your bills, do the things that pay your bills and also make the stuff that you want to make. Like the list just is beyond what you are able to achieve. And it's why you get those lyrics in Hamilton about why do you write like you're running out of time? And I, I read about Jim Henson, who's probably my, biggest creative hero. And you know, when his brother died young in the biography by, I think it's Brian J. Jones wrote it. He talks about how people around him noticed a very real switch in Jim Henson's behavior where he started to create like he was running out of time. And of course we all are running out of time and running around in a mad frenzy is probably not the best creative energy to bring to the table, but it is a real problem that you have to come to terms with when there's not enough time to get creative. You know, Jim Henson had a full-time, full schedule of creative stuff, but most of us have a bunch of stuff we have to do that's not creative, that's not even on our list of creative aspirations. My father-in-law, I find him to be a really inspiring guy. And uh, I love him a lot. I think he's awesome. And um, he he's also cooler than me. Like, listen, you know, he introduced me to... Well, Sophie introduced me to Cocteau Twins. He introduced her to Cocteau Twins um, when she was a kid. You know, he's grew up on the Smiths and Cocteau Twins and just incredible stuff. Anyway... Uh, A a cool guy Brews beer Makes mosaics He's he's just a a cool chap But um, he also does a lot of like uh, Model airplanes And that kind of thing And his friend said that He had had so many That he had what He called sable Which is stash acquired Beyond life expectancy Meaning the stash of Model airplanes that he had, he knew was impossible to get to, and we all have things like this. The TBR list, you know, the the books that you want to read, you know that there's not enough time in a lifetime to read these, uh, and so I want to approach this slightly different. So you have. St- Sable and we're going to talk about cable, which is creative aspirations beyond life expectancy. You're not going to be able to do all the different things you've got to do. And so how do you find the time to be creative? How do you prioritize the things that you need to do? How do you spend time on things that matter and not spend so much time on all the stuff that just gets in the way and doesn't add up to much? That's what we're gonna talk about in this episode. If you stick around all the way to the end, I'm gonna tell you the thing that helped me spend my time so much more efficiently in making picture books, that it picture books went from something that by the end of a picture book, I was just hustling my mind and body into the ground and grinding to the point of just being like, I hate I doing, doing this. Doing like it. several picture books I did, uh, I was in that zone. And the last one that I did, I approached it in a different way that really, really helped. And it totally changed it into a much much more pleasant experience and and one that i was really proud of too um, and and ready to go into again and so uh yeah if you stick to the end i'll share that one with you but let's get into 10 ways to get creative with your time when you have no time to get creative let's go If you find yourself with not enough time to do the creative work that you want to do, which whether you're a full-time artist or not, you're you're probably in this camp. I thought, well, once I go full-time, I'll have all the time I need. But of course, that's not true. You just come up with more ideas and ways to fill it and all that good stuff, and you take care of yourself better and all that kind of thing. But most people are in a scenario where they have a full-time job or they're a full-time parent or they have health problems or they, they're caring for somebody who has health problems. We all have things and, and some of us have more than others things that take up our time and mean that we don't get to the creative work that we want to do. And so when you don't have time to get creative, you have to get creative with your time. You have to have tactics and ideas on how am I going to make the most of the little time that I have. And I've learned a bunch of tactics over the years because I myself have three children, uh, have a mortgage to pay, have had to do a lot of different things to pay the bills over the years. And so I've had to get creative with my time. And I just thought I'd make an episode with 10 things that have helped me do a better job of this because it's probably the question that I get the most. and It's also the the problem that I have most often as a creator. So let's get into it. All right, here's your call to creative adventure today, your CTA, how to take action on being more creative with your time. Okay, number one is find the fulcrum. Find the fulcrum so the full crumb idea is just where is the point where you can pull a lever and it makes the biggest impact so what is the full crumb that the full thing hinges on that little crumb of your creative practice that is the kernel Of the seed that has the likelihood to make the biggest difference, to prove that you have what it takes. When it comes to your particular practice, what is the little thing that you need to prove that you can do and then build a project that is only that? Now, what does that mean? It means if you're a comedian Taking that little limited time that you have and just writing jokes as short as humanly possible and make it a daily habit where every day before you get out of the bath, before you get out of bed, you have to write one joke that you somewhat like. If if you're a storyteller, maybe it's one analogy. Or maybe for me, when I had the most full-time, non-creative work that I had on my plate, it looked like creating one new character every weekday for a year. And I had a process that was simple. I could create one in less than an hour and post it on Tumblr. Sometimes it took me a little bit longer than that, but I knew that I could churn one out if I had just 60 minutes. And I knew that for my creative practice, I wanted it to be, I wanted a part of my style and part of my signature work to be a huge cast of characters, and this was a way to build all those out and, and kind of populate that world when I didn't have a lot of time. If you're a fashion designer, maybe it's one outfit or one garment that you design. If you're a t-shirt designer or a designer who wants to work with bands, maybe it's just one t-shirt design. I remember there was an artist uh, when I was first starting out named Chris Gray, who he was a Manchester-based artist who was just phenomenal, made really great work. And he did a project where he did a new t-shirt design every day for a year, and you could actually take that design, mock it up on one of these print-on-demand shops. You could even print them out. You could, you know, print out the five best and take photos of them. It looks super legit. Make it, uh, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing, like dress for the job you, ha- uh, you want, not the job you have, but make a new t-shirt every week. Day for 30 days, 60 days, and you've got this giant portfolio as long as you focus on the fulcrum. What is the most micro, most important piece of doing what you do? And you can focus all of that little energy you have on that important part and getting really good at it. If you're a musician, maybe it's a chorus. Maybe you just record lo-fi chorus for a new song every single morning for a hundred days. And at the end of that time, I can tell you, you're gonna have a ton of great stuff to work with. And it reminds me of also, I was listening to this interview with um, Bell and Sebastian. I think it was on Broken Record podcast. I love Bell and Sebastian, love Stuart Murdoch. And he talks about how a lot of times the things that they make, if he, if he makes a song he doesn't really like it, he will then take a bit of that song and put it in, and if he can work it into a bridge and something else, or um, take a chorus or take a melody and just rip it off of that song that almost worked and then make it into something that does work. And the advice, I believe it was him that he said was, always finish it every single idea that you think is somewhat maybe good, finish it. Because if you don't finish it, you'll never know. And so what is the smallest thing that you could finish in an hour, in two hours? You know, could you make a unplugged album where you're making a new song every every weekday for, Three months, a quarter uh, quarter of the year is four months, I think. Yeah, uh, for uh, four months, and create a little EP or a little album just out of those tiny raw recordings. All right, two is going to be quicker than one because it's kind of a riff on one, and it's make a mosaic. Make a mosaic. And so make little things that turn into something big. Sophie and I have both done this over the years as we're you know parenting and juggling a bunch of different things where we have this bigger piece that is made up of really small bits. She did this with uh, her college project where she made a... she made Instead of making a sketchbook for her project, she just made a huge blanket and she did all of her experiments on that Blanket, And so it was like you took a sketchbook and you just spread it all out over a blanket in, in textile art. And she had this final piece at the end. And I did a different thing with my nod project where I did a new character every weekday for a year. But when we did a gallery show, it looks like this huge thing. Cause you got 260 characters. I see this also with people that do projects where they do, a, if they're a lettering artist, they'll just do the alphabet and they'll do one drop cap a day. Or if you're a musician, you could do a one-minute-long song a day like Tierra Whack or Half-Handed Cloud, and then you can do something like 1975 did where they did four EPs and then cherry-picked the best of those songs and then put it on an album. And so how could you just make something micro that turns into something bigger over time? Number three is do a batch day. So we do this a lot on the podcast where... I only get about an hour, maybe two hours to write a day for the podcast. I I don't want to make a big fuss out of how much writing goes into making this show, but it's, a, it's quite a bit. It's definitely more than you probably expect, and I don't have just full days to write for the podcast, and so I just write one to two hours a day, um, sometimes 30 minutes, 30 minutes to two hours. And uh, and I'll I'll prep a bunch, and then I will record three episodes in a day. And the thing that's great about that is you can do all the setup over time. You can do everything so that, once you do have that day maybe you have a Saturday or you have a Sunday afternoon you get all your paint ready all prep all your canvases through the week and then you do a batch day where you do four paintings all on the same day and now you've really pushed the needle forward and you plan ahead and you make sure that you got all the materials you need instead of just scrambling to make something super fast while your kids are walking out the door and you're you're late for the soccer practice and all that kind of stuff instead of trying to fit in your creative Creativity in this space where it does not exist, and, and you put this kind of pressure on you. Sometimes, if the pressure is like such where you're like, well, I couldn't possibly make anything good. That's in a, in a minute before we walk out the door. Sometimes you can kind of unlock a, a creative thing going on there. But most of the time, the thing that you need for creativity is that deep work space. You need to chunk it out, no interruptions, time to get in the flow, time to let go of the pressure of getting something done efficiently. None of that is productive. It's the, the regular productivity hacks are anti-creative. You've got to have time to waste, time to have fun. That's the whole way that you get into that brain state. So one of the ways of doing that is do all of the non-creative, boring prep before in those little pockets of time so by the time you have an open day you also know what you're doing you're not going to stand around thinking well I'll, i'll waste an hour trying to figure out what the heck i'm working on you can go straight into it because you've removed all the friction and you've done all the prep up front and you can batch out a really productive day that then makes you feel like you had a super productive week even though you were only creative on one day Number four is sixty minute morning. Sixty minute morning. We touched on this a little bit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna shift it um, a little bit and add something to it because it was so helpful to me. So I've mentioned this way way back on the show, so I thought it was worth repeating. Number four is sixty minute morning. Sixty minute morning or ninety minute morning. Or ninety minute morning. And the whole idea of this is when I first got into picture books, one of the first picture books I ever made, I was so overwhelmed by the amount of work to to do. Um, So many, I had to, you know, create so many more spreads than I was used to creating. You know, I can't imagine doing... A graphic novel I do not understand how you do that maybe it's partially not having children I don't know but good goodness gracious it's a lot of time I just don't think I I have that kind of stamina in me creatively but the, a picture book was so overwhelming to me and I remember like looking at how many pages I had to do and how long I thought I needed I thought I need like two months off But when you get into picture books, especially your advance is not going to be such where you can just take off loads of time and just, you know, shut out all the other ways that you make money and just get this giant wide open space. And I just thought, man, I'm never going to find these two months. And so instead I thought. I had heard this somewhere, and I apologize, I don't know where I heard it, but instead, whatever your number one goal is, which it might have been the book, The One Thing, which we've talked about a lot on this uh, show, I'm just reminded that whatever, that whole book is about focusing on your number one goal, your most important domino to knock over, and they said, spend the first 90 minutes of your day working on that thing, pushing that forward, even when you don't have time to do anything else. And so if you're a morning person, then I recommend going to bed earlier and getting up a little, uh, a little bit earlier too. If you're a night person, then I recommend staying up a little bit later and, and doing that 90 minutes then. But for me, it was 90 minute mornings. And I spent 90 minutes, the first 90 minutes of my day on that project, no matter what other things I had to do that day. And it was a game changer. And I achieved in about two and a half weeks what I thought I needed full time two months to achieve. So you'd be blown away as creators, especially if you're neurodivergent, it's really hard to get more than one thing done in a day or to multitask or a transition and creating this 90 minute block where you shut the entire world out and you focus on the same thing for the uh, for uh, until it's completed like that uh, that compounds in such a way where you can't imagine what 10 days of doing something for 90 minutes what that can amount to until you do it and it's a really powerful tool alright number five is sprint sprint or we could call it scantron it or scantron it it's the idea of pencils down i heard two kind of different versions of this but i've done versions of this for myself as well one i heard from mike smith of smith and diction who is a designer who makes just gorgeous work i don't pretend to know a ton about design um i i do have a graphic design degree but I don't consider myself a designer and I haven't really worked as a designer in a long time. And, uh, but I keep my, uh, I keep my ear to the ground somewhat just because I like design and I love good design. And I, I, I feel like Mike's work is uh, really great. And the stuff that comes out of Smith and Diction is just really gorgeous. And he did an article recently all about how in 2020, when, you know, it hit the fan, he started doing these sprints for clients that he already had relationships with. If you're not familiar with the sprint, it's just basically kind of like a scantron in that you have a period of time that you can work, that you agree on with the client, and then you say, at this point whatever's done is done you'll pay me this amount of money i'll hand over whatever i have and a lot of that might be like files that are not complete and work that's not finished and he did a really interesting article um called to sprint or not to sprint on their website or on uh, it's a medium article and um And it's subtitled Thoughts on a Controversial Branding Offering. And I'm not even suggesting that you necessarily do this for clients, but I do suggest that you try it out for yourself. What song could you make from start to finish if you only had eight hours? What you know, book could you write if you only had, if you only gave yourself five days, like what could you do if you made super strict rules and then actually stuck to them? I think the key to this and Mike gets at this a little bit in, in that article is that you can't overthink. Overthinking and that what I believe to be kind of the more left hemisphere functions um, you know, favoring the left side of your brain functions. That is a type of mental energy that gets in the way of what, your most flow like creativity is, which is more play and fun and not being precious. And so I think that not only is it a way to get a lot done in a short period of time when you don't have a lot of time, but it also is a way of getting interesting things that you never would have achieved otherwise i've had those scenarios in college where you had to present four things i put all of my time making the first one the first idea i came up with as good as possible uh, because i fell in love with it and then i phoned in the other three ideas and the fourth idea i came up with in bed before i go to sleep um, before I go to the meeting in the morning, w- became a published book, my first published book, which was the indie rock coloring book, um, and it was because I was I was not precious, and I was just trying to think of something fast with no effort, and sometimes it's like that that's what it takes to kind of. Uh, pull one over on your own left side of your brain where you're like, all right, what would you make if it was awful? What's the worst idea you could come up with? And then, and then start creating from there. What's the fastest, cheapest, quickest thing you could achieve. And then I also heard uh, designer brand designer, Pia Silva talk about on the grow the show podcast, how they were doing all this work and their clients just couldn't afford what they needed to build them for to make these brands. And then a client was like, Hey, we've got $3,000. What could you give us for that? And they're like, I think we could give you a day of our team's work. And so they started doing these one day sprints. And so first of all, yes, it's a business idea. It's an interesting process. And as Mike Smith said, he mentioned that it mostly works with people you already have a relationship with someone that can Do something with your unfinished work but ultimately I'm suggesting it as a creative exercise what could you do if you had a moment where you said that's pencils down you can't draw another line and how would that change what you made that could be an ongoing process an everyday project where you say what can I make in an hour and I think you'd be surprised how much creativity you can squeeze out of an hour All right, number six is trim the fat. Trim the fat. So here's what I recommend you do is if you have a typical process in which you make creative work, which lots of us do, write out the process and then break it down into steps. And then just write under each step, how much time it usually takes you to complete that and be liberal. Cause we always underestimate how much time something takes when it's something, something that we like, something we like to do. And, and so overestimate what's the longer amounts of time that it usually takes and then zero in on two different aspects of that process. One is the part that takes the most amount of time, And this is really essential, especially when you're trying to be creative with your time. One time I had a project, a book project. This was um, a journal that I was making for a publisher. And uh, I was working on it. I had 10 full spreads that I had to illustrate. And I think I got something like four out of the six or four out of the 10 done, six left and um just proving that i know the math um 4 plus 6 is 10 right <laughs> and uh i think i got 4 done and something happened to my hard drive and all of them were gone and these were pretty complicated spreads and i was like oh my gosh i was already panicking i was already behind schedule and i and i was forced to stop and do this process of trimming the fat writing out the entire process of what it takes to make these images and thinking about What element of this is slowing me down? What element of this could be tightened up? What element of this am I just not being creative or thoughtful about in terms of productivity? And I completely revamped the way I created those. I made the 10 in about the same amount of time that it took to make four. And I ended up liking the stuff better because we're not often creative with the process. We're often not... Productive uh, or creative with the productivity, we just kind of, I don't, I, well, this is just me. I can only speak for myself. I just kind of fall into the creative process without being logical or conscientious about it. And so, if you will just take it, write out all the pieces of a typical process, focus in on the part that takes the most time, and try to problem solve how you could do that part quicker and more efficient without losing the the fun or the the quality that you're after. And then the second piece I would look at, which is not relevant necessarily to time, but what part of the process do you hate? And this can be a time management thing because if there's part of the process that you hate, you're going to avoid it. You're going to procrastinate, you're going to waste time not doing the creative work. And so there were pieces of making picture books where I realized like, oh, I really avoid the step between after I've scanned it and getting it to full, um, finish, because I just feel like I end up tweaking things digitally for so long. It's not fun. I hate that part of the process. And so I put it off. And so if you can identify what is the part of the process that I really, really hate that just I avoid at all costs and you start even I would tell you to be willing to consider sacrificing a little bit of quality for a maximum if you can really maximize the amount of fun that that part of the process is, because fun work, work that was made through the lens of having a good time, ends up having a better quality anyway. And I think sometimes we get obsessive and perfectionist, and it actually hurts the work. And so where can you have more fun? Where can you be more efficient within your creative process if you focus on trimming the fat? All right, number seven, planet. Planet. And it doesn't mean like pizza planet. Pizza planet. It means pizza needs to plan it. I need to plan out when and where I'm doing this thing. Because sometimes I think I have no time and it's just because I'm not managing my time. This idea comes from the book *Atomic Habits* by James Clear. Uh, been revisiting his work recently. He's a also a fellow Columbus native. Hope to get him on the show sometime. If you know him, let him know. He's a busy guy, massive bestseller, but um, I, I really respect his work. And I think in that space of productivity, he's got one of the most level heads. And uh, and I just really respect what he does. But. Um, there's so many good gold nuggets. Gold nuggets. Uh, we need some kind of weird effect on that because I I hate saying that. Um, gold nuggets. Gold nuggets. In that book, and one of them is you double your chances of sticking to something if you commit to a plan of time and space of when you're going to do something and even more so how you're going to do it and so you'll this is why you get people who are trying to get you to vote saying let's plan your route to how you're going to get to the polling station let's make sure you know where it is let's make sure that you know the time and date and the behavior that you're going to do because if you write that out you are Doubling your chances that you're going to do it. And so in that book, he has a thing that says, I will blank at blank. I will blank behavior at blank time in blank location. And so what is the thing that you say you don't have any time to achieve? By the way, just there, there's no shame. There are lots of people out there that have less time than me less time than you listening to this. That's a very real time, real time. It's a very real thing. Uh, we don't all have the same amount of time. We have the same amount of hours in a day, but we don't have the same responsibilities and we don't have the same energy. We, you know, there's just a huge spectrum. So I respect that. Um, but whatever your time constraints are, um Trying to be as creative with that as possible will give you the max amount of time to be creative. So if you can write out, I will draw a character at 8 a.m. on Monday through Friday. If you write that statement, you will be doubling your chances of doing it. Um, That's actually coming from research. So. Write the behavior, the time and day that you're going to do it and where you're going to do it, and you've already doubled your chances that it'll actually happen and you'll find time to make it work. This is one I accidentally touched on earlier. Number eight is energy clock. Energy clock, energy clock is so huge. Uh, if you are too tired at night after your full-time job to get any creative extra creative work done, You could prioritize your own personal creativity above the creativity that you have to do for your nine to five by going to sleep earlier and waking up earlier. And if you are a morning person, and for a lot of people, we're at our creative best, maybe not the second we wake up, but after we've had time to come around and have some coffee and what have you, we are going to be at our peak mental state. Now, some people are night owls and their peak mental state is at night. And so you have to plan accordingly. But one of the things I didn't do early on was I didn't realize that my peak creative zone is probably 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. That's when I like to write. That's when I like to record. All the other meetings, everything else, I block outside of that time frame. Take most of my meetings 3 a.m. Um, no, block it and do it after. Um, you know, I, I, it took me forever uh, doing the podcast to put on my schedule that every single morning is a no meetings morning unless we absolutely have to break that rule. But it's actually on my schedule so that no meetings can get scheduled, nothing can get scheduled with a doctor, a dentist, with uh, kids, whatever. Um, in that block of time now, I, w- I didn't always have that privilege, but even after I had that privilege, I didn't act on it because I didn't acknowledge my energy clock. And so one of the things uh, that you can do is if you just give it some time to not only think about when are you at your peak creatively but then planning around that so that you're doing the most important creative work in that time. Because if you do that, you will do it more efficiently. You will do it quicker. If you're trying to create something at 10 p.m. when you're done with the day and done with the kids and done with work, you're going to take twice as long as if you go to sleep and do it at 7 a.m. if you're a morning person. Number nine is quit something. Quit something. Is there anything that you are doing on a regular basis that you can quit? Yes, this can apply to Netflix, but I'm not the rise and grind guy who's like, You got to cut out all pleasure in your life that makes it worth living so that you can be productive. I'm not saying that at all. If there are things that you do out of habit that don't actually contribute to your happiness or mental health or regulating, yeah, maybe do consider cutting those out. You know, the first probably most of my 20s, I didn't play video games at all. And I didn't even really miss it. I didn't even know what I was missing. I didn't know video games was the medium where the most creative innovation was happening on the planet. Now I do know that and I've integrated them back into my schedule when I can. But, you know, I took 10 years off video games because I was trying to get my creative practice off the ground and I was happy to do it. I'm glad I did it. So, yeah, there are some things, some leisurely things or things where you uh, that are just a time suck that don't give a lot back. That I think it's worth considering quitting those things. But more than that, I have on my list here. Uh, when I was taking my notes and writing writing this episode, um, it just says dogs, and my first thought was like, quit your dogs. That's not cool, man. What get, put your dogs up for adoption because you don't have time for them because you have a career? Uh, that's not what I'm suggesting. I would never. I would never suggest that about your dogs. What I meant there was uh, we talked about the BCG growth share matrix uh, and um, dogs are what they call, why do they call them dogs? Dogs are the best. Um, Dogs are the things where you don't have any market share and that market isn't growing. And so when you have, when you're spending a lot of time doing creative stuff that. It's a market that's overrun, too competitive. There's no money in it There's or, or there's no opportunities in it. Those are things that, you know, if you keep posting on a social platform for years after you get any engagement, you're just doing it almost like a ritual, hoping that if you, you know, sacrifice that time to the algorithm gods, you never know. They might look upon you with favor and win the viral lottery. But it's just not worth it. There came a time and place where we quit posting the podcast on Pinterest every single time. By the way, I love Pinterest. I've worked with Pinterest, and I'm not just saying it because of that. I use Pinterest uh, probably three or four times a, a week, purely just because in the age of video, it's one of the only places that is just a compendium. uh, Is that the right word of uh, incredible image discovery? So I get so much inspiration from it, but I personally wasn't finding that the episode art that I make was really relevant on Pinterest. And it took me years of posting to Pinterest, saving out images in a certain way, linking them in a certain way, putting it within my process, getting no return, a total dog in the process. Before I said, you know what, I'm not going to post there anymore. So what are those things? What are the things that take 80% of your effort and you get 20% of the results? And what are the things that you do 20% of your effort, get 80% of the results, eliminate the 80% of the effort that doesn't, that has that inverse lack of a result so that you can focus more on the things that actually work. And I will say, I'll add one more bet. This happened to me when I first started podcasting. A couple years in, podcasting versus picture books. I was trying to do both the same time. Podcast started taking off, and I had to put down picture books for a minute. Um, I had to put down that dog. Oh my god, that's so mean! <laughs> uh, but I could the, the the pun was there. But I had to put down picture books for just a second because. Uh, it, it, but what's great about it is I could say to picture books. Look, this isn't forever. You're just going to a farm for a little while, and then we'll come visit you. Now, and we did. Look, I it came full circle, and now picture books are a huge part of my thing. And part of what part of that was because we built up the audience on the podcast, and that was attractive to publishers, and that was helping me break into that world. And um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's worth. Coming up with some things to quit. Uh, there's a s- spiritual writer, Bob Goff, who makes it a practice of every Thursday he quits something. And he also ran a lawyer, uh, a law practice. And um, every year, all the contracts were only a year long. And at the end of the year, it, was con- it wasn't It was that you're fired. It was just like, yeah, these are the people that we're going to rehire. And I don't know if I fully love that practice, but I, I do love the idea of... I think he also said um, he said that he'll never start something without quitting something else because every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so I I love that dedication to quitting because I think it um, it's actually a, a, a lot harder to commit yourself than to starting stuff. right. And the last one that I promised you at the beginning of the episode is sharpening the ax. Number 10 is sharpening the ax. Sharpening the ax. And I just want to highlight this one. I wanted to make it number 10. I wanted to tease it at the start because I would have ignored this. If it hadn't made such a massive impact, so in theory, hypothetically, it wasn't something that interests me. The whole idea of sharpening the axe, I don't know if it's a George Washington thing, could have been Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, one of these people said this. None of them said it. That's what that basically means, but it gets attributed, I think to George Washington. And I don't know if that's true, but supposedly one of these folks um, was asked if he had four hours to chop down a tree, how would you spend your time? And they're like, "I'd, I'd spend three and a half hours sharpening the ax and 30 minutes cutting down the tree. And it's so true. like. I was, like I said, I, I was struggling. I've struggled to get through the picture book process sometimes. It's just kind of for an ADHD person, just a, long-term projects can be kind of tough, especially the ones that require a lot of time management where you're like, Hey, I've got to do this amount uh, every day for 60 days, or I'm not going to reach the finish line. Like that's a lot of time management. And if I'm just completely honest, it's been a long process for me to figure out how to do that well and I've gotten a lot better at it and probably the thing that's made the most difference that I can see is in the last project I spent way more time sharpening the axe and part of that came from and by the way sharpening the axe axe. what I mean by that is prepping prepping properly prepping properly and I what I did was I, I did the process we talked about earlier where I laid out the, the whole process of making the picture book, and I tried to identify where were the areas where I wasn't having fun, where were the areas where I was spending too much time. And I realized all of them were me working digitally, par- partially because I don't enjoy sitting in front of a computer um, as much as I do in front of paper and paint. And so I realized that the thing that was in the way was, I didn't really know what I was doing on the traditional stuff. And so I was like spending tons of time in the post production of the image, fixing stuff that I'd done wrong. And I thought, well, what if I just sharpen the ax by watching a bunch of tutorials about how to use the paper properly, taking a few uh, Skillshare class about gouache to see what I'm missing there, um, to learn some of the Photoshop trip tricks to make it easier to correct stuff when it doesn't go right. And I spent way more time prepping my paper, way more time, you know, going and gathering all the materials. I went and got the gouache. I picked out all my colors instead of trying to mix colors. I did so many things on this last book that we haven't announced yet that meant that instead of doing 75% of the image traditionally and 25% of it digitally, It was probably more like 90-10, and it was faster, and it was more fun. And it all came from, instead of just avoiding, learning a little bit, I just tackled that up front, and it made all the difference. And, uh, yeah, even if this sounds hypothetical, I really encourage you to take the idea of sharpening the axe seriously because it can really, really, really cut out really 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 cut out some uh some time from your process and um it's a great way to get more more creative time for another episode thanks to yoni wolf and the band y for our theme music and soundtrack massive thanks to Connor jones of pending beautiful for editing the show and for the sound design thanks to katie chandler ryan appleton and sophie miller for podcast assistance of all shapes and sizes and sorts and kinds and whatnot and uh, until we speak again do whatever you gotta do to stay pepped up